Every computer and every cell phone has a thing known as an operating system. It's the part, I know this because I Googled it, it's the part inside of the computer that allows you to access the computer. It allows you to do all those things that you want to do. Computers just don't do that. There's a mind, there's a brain inside of it that organizes every request that you make and it puts them in the right order so you can, as you say, multitask. So whether you are using a word processor or a spreadsheet or listening to music or watching a movie or playing a game, whatever you're doing, it's not just your computer, it is your operating system that allows you to access the genius of your computer and it allows your computer to give you what you're going after. A few years ago, in fact, just before I moved to College Church, I still had a little laptop, the first one I ever had. It's a 386 MS-DOS. Some of you are so young, you don't even know what that is. You just, when you opened it up, there was no windows. The screen was just black, and the thing would blink, and it would say, Command Prompt. <laughs> And you'd have to know the codes or look them up, what buttons to push at the same time to get that MS-DOS to do what you wanted it to do. I did everything on this computer, loved it. Um, I ran a church on this computer. I wrote two books on this computer and another book that no one has ever seen and ever will. <laughs> all of my correspondence, all of my articles... The stuff that I started to write years ago was on this. I got a degree on this computer. Uh, then one day it malfunctioned. And so I called tech support. And he said, well, what kind of computer do you have? I said, well, I have a 386 MS-DOS. There was a long pause. That's not a good sign. He said, well, can you open Windows? I said, why? The air conditioner's on. He said, sir, there are new computers out there. They do really amazing things. You should look into them. And by now he annoyed me. And so I said, wait a second. I've written two and a half books on this. I've ran an organization on this. I've gotten a degree on this. What have you done on yours? It isn't what you have. It's what you do with what you have. He said, sir, you'd be surprised what you could do if you'd upgrade your operating system. So I said what every 20-year-old says when they don't know what to say, whatever. And I went out and bought Windows. Holy cow. Now, I know y'all were way ahead of me, but I could not believe this. I could do emails. I could watch movies. I got access to iTunes. There were, you just point and click. It was amazing. You'd think I'd learned my lesson. But a few years ago, while still working on this old clunker, my staff and my kids insisted I get a Mac. Where I come from, Macintosh is an apple, and apple is what you eat. But they kept saying, 
it will change everything for you, Dad. And I kept saying, no, 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 it isn't what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And they said, Dad, you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better operating system. And so a couple years ago, I went out and got an Apple Mac. Holy cow. Now, I know you're way ahead of me. Wait for me. This stuff will sink everything. It is amazing. Just the other night, I downloaded two songs by Mark Knopfler, the best guitarist in the world. And when I woke up the next morning, my cell phone had a message that basically said, Hey, do you want those two songs to be on this device? (laughs) I thought somebody broke into my room and looked at my computer. I just went like, heck yeah, man. And there they were. This thing will, this is amazing. Have you seen this? When one of these things has a thought, the other one has it too at the same time. It's incredible. You'll be surprised what you can do, they say, when you have a better operating system. I want to challenge you this morning to look at your operating system. Everyone in the room has an operating system. Not on your computers, in your religion. It's a complex web of ideas and rituals and practices that come together to form an invisible mind about the way that you perceive God. So, so... Every time that you open your Bible or take the sacrament or come to church like you are right now, you came in these doors a minute ago with certain preconceptions about God. Those preconceptions may or may not be right, but they're part of your operating system. The moment I say His name, the operating system just sort of gives you access to Him. What is He like? What does He want? Is He near or far away? Is He like us or very different from us? What is the dominant thing about Him? How do you make Him happy? Where is He going? What does He wish? All of that is answered by your operating system. And every few thousand years, God updates an operating system. And every time... God upgrades an operating system. The people who have the old one cling to it because, as I said, it isn't what you have, it's what you do with it. And we say, the thing I have is working so well. Why would I need a better one? And I think I hear God say, you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better operating system. The last time God upgraded the operating system was in John 14. And when He did it, most of us got left behind with MS-DOS. Look at John 14. Really, you'll need Bibles. You can't look at me. They're in your pews, on your phones, in your memory, in your operating system. 
And the moment you open John chapter 14, the curse of knowledge kicks in. Because I read the first few verses, one through three, and I know what this means. I've said it a thousand times. I've had more than 300 funerals, and most of them use these words. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may also be. I know those words, and the curse of knowledge kicks in. And I think to myself, there's really not much more to know about that. Jesus is going to go to heaven, going to take me with him. But if you look at verses 1 through 3 again, he is mentioning two themes and not one. The first theme is the idea of his going away in my Father's house for many rooms. If I go to prepare a place, then I will come again. And the second theme is of His being with us. And us being with Him. That is a theme as old as the Bible. If this does not shock you, consider how many Christian funerals you've been to where all the talk was about being reunited with Grandpa. Being in a place where there's streets of gold and no more pain and absolute peace. You'd think it was a Christian Disneyland. But if I am reading... The first three verses right. Now, don't listen to me. Look at the page. If I'm reading it right, the reason he is going away to prepare a place is so that wherever I am, there you may also be being with him, with him, with him is the essence of heaven. rattling around in my head the second half of the week was, is it really possible then, Lord, that in heaven Jesus will be with thousands of American Christians who really aren't that much interested in being with Him? This idea of God being with us or us being with God is a dominant theme in the Bible way more dominant than heaven. When Israel began, his name was Jacob. Jacob saw a ladder with angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And the Lord said to him, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. When Moses stood beside a burning bush, he heard that voice say, I will be with you. And when you have brought these people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And after they went through the Red Sea, he heard that voice say, have my people prepare a sanctuary and I will come and dwell with them. When Elisha went outside with his servant, his servant looked and saw the armies, and he panicked. He said to Elisha, what are we going to do? Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see that those who are with us 
are greater than those who are with them. And when the Lord opened his eyes, he looked to the hills, and there were thousands of invisible soldiers, an army of God standing in the hills, invisible to the naked eye, until the Lord opened his eyes. And he looked at Elijah, and right behind him was a wall of chariots on fire. Jehoshaphat came to a narrow pass in the mountains. He saw the enemy on both sides of the mountain. And he said, Lord, we stand in your presence in this temple that bears your name. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet, and the prophet said to Jehoshaphat, Do not be afraid or discouraged by this vast army, for the battle is not yours, it is God's. Tomorrow you will march out against them, but you will not have to fight this battle. No, no. Take up your positions, stand firm, and then watch. For the Lord will be with you. Isaiah the prophet said to the people of Israel, When you walk through fire, you won't be burned. When you go through a river, it will not overwhelm you. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Sit it twice. Isaiah 43, verse 2 and verse 5. This is a dominant theme. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Boy, if you have not gotten this far in your Christian life, you're on an old operating system. You're still using magic, works, things, accomplishments, degrees, in the hopes that somehow you may get his attention. But what I want you to know is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he is with you. And this will save your sanity on many days. Many times I've said, Lord, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And I have heard that voice say, you must go out there, but you will not have to fight. Take your position and stand and watch, for the Lord will do the fighting for you. What a difference that makes when you know you have the presence of the Almighty doing your work. Oh, man, don't go back to the old operating system. Will you just come to church and remember Him for a second and then go back and do things the way that you always do in the business world? But keep reading. Or the curse of knowledge will take away the beauty of this. Keep reading, church. You have Bibles, don't you? For all the while Jesus is talking about going away, he's also talking about staying with us. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. No, no, I will come to you. Verse 19, the world will not see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will also live. In verse 21, whoever loves me, I will love him and I will show myself to him. In fact, he says in verse 23, the father will love him too. And then we will come to him and make our house with Him. 
So you start to wonder, well, is he going to stay or is he going away? I mean, if he's going to prepare a place, how can he not leave us as orphans? If he's going to prepare the Father's house, how can he make a house in us? How can he come to us in such a way that the world will not recognize him, but we will recognize him? This isn't making sense. The secret, he says, is verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give another counselor, just like me. The Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever. The world does not know him because they cannot see him. But you know him. Because... He is with you. And you will be in him. And with that subtle change, he gives us a new operating house. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has two relationships, one with the Father and one with us. When Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father, he uses the language of inness. It's the language of indwelling of being intertwined with someone so that the other person is completely in you while you are in the other person. And all the while, you are in them and they are in you, and so neither of you exists independently of the other person. You are still your own person. Theologians call it perichoresis, but it's more like an interpenetration. It's an intertwining of personalities. You probably have not seen a relationship on this earth quite like it, but it is the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They exist not independent, but interdependent of the other two. And so, Each person has taken all that they have and divested it into the other two who are themselves divesting them into the one. This is strange language. So when you read the first part of John, you read things like, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's John 5.19. Later in John 6, He says, I have come from heaven, but it is not to do My will. It is to do the will of Him who sent Me. And so I say to myself, so really the reason Jesus is here is to do the Father's will. But keep reading. He says, for My Father's will is that everyone should look to the Son. 
for eternal life. So it sounds like the son is saying, no, no, don't look at me. Look at the father. And the father is saying, thank you very much. Now look at the son. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, my father whom you say is your God is the one who glorifies me. He says, I know him. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, wait a second, you're not even 50. And you say that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him. They knew exactly what he was saying. There were only five reasons to kill a man back then. And one of them was blasphemy. Jesus wasn't even close to the other four. So when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they linked it with his claim to be the eternal God. And they picked up stones to kill him. They were completely within the law to do so. So clear is this inness between the Father and the Son that Jesus will say in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. John 14, verse 9, In fact, if you've seen me, you're looking at the Father. John 14, verse 10, do you not believe me when I say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? John 14, verse 11, believe me, please, when I tell you that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. This is the language of inness. It's a new operating system. But when he speaks of his relationship with us, he speaks in the language of witness. Have you been with me this long and you still do not know who I am? When we are with him, we may love him, serve him, obey him, Follow Him, worship Him, but we are not Him. We exist independent of each other. And because we do, He may always have ideas and passions. He may have instincts and desires that we do not have. And so we spend the rest of our lives playing catch-up with Jesus' passions and desires, as if it were something to be imitated. Inness is not about imitation. Witness is about imitation. Inness is about habitation. It's not about me asking, what does God want in trying to do it? It is about the eternal God inflecting Himself in my soul so that He does whatever He wants to do. And I am synced with Him so that the moment He has the thought, He has it in me and not just for me. It's a whole new operating system. Yeah, you'd be surprised what you can do when you upgrade your system.
I'll make it as visceral as I can. I must have been 11, 12 years old. I was at Hastings Camp in Michigan. It was a Saturday night about 6 o'clock. My dad had gone home to preach a sermon in Sturgis the following morning. I was out in the street, a little dirt road that was in front of our cottage, when all of a sudden a woman, she was about 50, but when you're 12, that looks like 100. And I was out there playing catch with my friend, and this woman walks up to me, and she says, Son, is your daddy here? I said, No, ma'am, he's not. He had to go home. He had to preach a sermon tomorrow. She said, That's okay. I'll talk to him at another time. And she went across the street into a cottage, and it was probably 15 minutes or so while we were still playing catch when I heard the most blood-curdling scream I'd ever heard in my life. The door, the screen door of that cottage across the street swung open, and this 50-year-old woman was running out the door, screaming at the top of her lungs. There were two pastors who were chasing her. They got into the middle of that dirt road, and one of them tackled her. And right behind him, there were two others. And as soon as she hit the dirt, they jumped on top of her, and they had her pinned out like this. And there was a man on each arm and each leg. And I don't mean holding it. I mean sitting on it like this. A full-grown man. And she started to scream. And in her voice was a pitch I had never heard in my life before. It terrified me. It was deep. It was muddy. It sounded like it came from hell. And while they kept saying, God is greater, God is greater, she kept saying, He is not And before my eyes, I watched her with one hand, a 50-year-old woman, lift that guy right off the dirt. I panicked. I did what every 12-year-old does. You hide behind a car. And I remember thinking to myself, whatever happened to her, Dear God, don't let it happen to me. And one day I was reading John 14. And this is what he said. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father. And the Father, or or, in you, Jesus said, my prayer is not simply for them. Oh no, Lord, may they be one as we are one. No, listen to him. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. Now you may have to move some theological walls. But if you don't, you cannot account 
for the language. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. And I thought to myself, is it possible that God wants to possess me himself in a way that I saw that 50-year-old possessed only with quite a different spirit? Now listen to me. 1 Peter 4.11 says, When we speak, we speak the very words of God as if God were speaking through us. Holy cow. So I've come to ask you this morning, what operating system you have. Because I think, like me, in computers, you will hear this and you will immediately discount it by 50% so it fits within your old operating system. I think you will say, the old system is doing everything I want it to do. I serve Jesus and I follow Jesus. What is wrong with that? He's taken me to heaven. What is wrong with that? And I say, there is nothing wrong with that. But you'd be surprised what you can do with a whole new system. Do you not realize that most of the struggle that you may have in your life right now is solved as long as you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. You say to yourself, sometimes I don't really know if I'm a Christian, but Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit and tells us that we are the children of God. You say, I pick up the Bible, and sometimes it does not make sense, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no one has known the mind of God except the Spirit that is in God, and He has given us His Spirit, so we have the mind of Christ. You may say, I am stuck with this sin. I keep doing the same thing, man. I think I broke free and then all of a sudden back I go. But Paul says in Romans chapter 8, by the Spirit we have mortified the flesh. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We are children of the living God. You may say, I come to church, but I don't really feel like I fit in church. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is the Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ. So we are members of one another. Oh, I wish I could convince you. But I'm looking at some of you and I can't. No, I know. You're thinking, what's wrong with my old system? Can I just go to heaven? Yes, you can. But you'd be surprised. (laughs) 
what you can do with the new operating system. You won't have to imitate him anymore. He will get inside of you and just live. And these are his words, not mine. And because he lives, you live. At the same she come into my personality without taking her over? How she do my work without me getting in the way? What kind of upgrades should I look for? Stay with me. Next week, I just want to tell you the way in.